Oh, hello, welcome. Today, we're changing gears. I'm starting a new series called 40% Facts. This was born several years back. Myself and three friends were on a road trip from Montreal to New York for one of our birthdays. We had such an incredible trip. And on the way to New York, it came up that one of the husbands would get frustrated with her because whenever they had an argument, he accused her of only bringing to the table 40% facts. And it became a running joke the whole trip. And to this day, we still say it to each other. But a seed was planted in my brain. And I said, one day, we four women are going to get together and make this a real thing. So I'm really, really excited to share this with you. So excited, in fact, that I've written you a jingle. And I'm going to sing it to you right now. It's your lucky day. 40% facts, 40%. You might be right, you may not be. You've made your point, hopefully. I had to do it. Anyway, today on a more serious note, we get together finally after all this time and we talk about two subjects dear to our hearts, creativity and motherhood. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm well, how are you? Good. You have such a nice centering voice. I feel really? Like oh, yeah. No, your voice is amazing. That's why you get all that voice work. <laughs> I'm like giddy with excitement today. Giddy. Really? Oh, good. <laughs> Please excuse this odd edit, but at this point, Suzanne coughs in a way that defies comedy. <laughs> and I had to remove it. Let's continue. <laughs> I'll, keep, I'll muffle it maybe it'll like sound raspy okay. and sexy it could be I mean the stakes are pretty They're high like, here this stakes is making or break it for me <laughs> Annabelle just joined yes I am Annabelle? oh amazing Sue has developed a nervous <laughs> cough <laughs> like she's never coughed before in her life but never. apparently today like it's going to happen. Not even so just today, like right a minute ago. I started. A minute ago, she's developed a nervous cough, <laughs> so she's like an editor. No, I think, no, honestly, I think I'll be fine. I, I, okay, so okay. is this, okay, so we can't see each other. It's just like, okay, no. I see. All right. So it's just, we're just talking. It's like a, um, like a phone call. You know, it's like a, it's like a, like, like, remember phone calls? Like <laughs> I do. Remember when we didn't just text people? And or like, Zoom people? Yeah. No, I don't. I don't really remember that. But... <laughs> oh my goodness, ladies. Hi, Annabelle. Could this be Hi. any? Hi. So I'm just, like I said, I'm absolutely giddy with excitement to have you amazing ladies here for 40% fast. Yes, that. We're bringing yes. 10% each. A, that's right. We're each bringing 10%. I'd love to give you each an opportunity to say, what do you do? How do you describe yourself to others in terms of your creativity? Okay. So let's start with oh. Annabelle. <laughs> I love going first. <laughs> I had a feeling you'd like that. Yeah. Hello, my name is Annabelle, and I'm a wedding and portrait photographer. I'm inspired by a lot of other art, but it comes through in my photography. And you're I'm a mom. How many children do you have? Two. One is 14 and the other is going to be nine very soon, which is crazy. Yeah. 
Wow. And what about you, Emmeline? Well, I guess I would describe myself as a painter that focuses on different types of media. But I think right now it's an abstract landscape painter on hiatus. I've had multiple different mediums and interests, but for the last six years, painting has really kind of grasped a hold on me. I have three children, so age 14, 13, 10, and we're expecting our fourth in July. So we have a large family. (laughs) A large family, to say the least. Yes. (laughs) Not to mention all your animals. Yes. And you, Sue, how are you describing yourself these days? Well, that's a good question. (laughs) I studied fashion design and I've spent about 20 years in that field in various different positions. And then I gave it all up for the glamorous life of street style photography, which I do not get paid for, but love and and I'm incredibly passionate about. So I'm at the moment studying photography in order to be a better fashion and glamour portraiture photographer, but more based in fashion. I'm as much as I love the people, I'm way more interested in the clothes that they're wearing. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I would say I'm in between labels right now. And I'm going to say that I'm a multi-hyphenate because I've been doing a lot of podcast listening. So I have all these new terms. But I will say that I have been an actor. I've been a photographer. I am a writer. And now I'm deep diving into podcasting and beyond. So we'll see where we go with that. But mostly I just love connecting with people. And that's why I'm doing this. We didn't talk about our kids, Angeli. We're terrible parents already. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Oh my goodness. You're so, thank you for keeping me on track I've got two kids and Angelique has one that's true I have one little pixie thanks for correcting me there no I I wanted to (laughs) it's like talking about your arm they're just it's true yeah (laughs) I want to go back to childhood because I think that's such a fertile time in our lives and I want to talk about when the appeal of creativity hit us, if it was something we heard about first and then decided to try for ourselves or if it just kind of came naturally. I remember when I was in elementary school and I had to do a presentation and I chose Michelangelo and I remember a quote that he said that just blew me away and made me curious. He said when he's working on a sculpture, he knows the sculpture is in the piece of marble and he just has to find it. I always loved that quote. It always stuck with me as mystical mysterious connection to something else and that always stuck with me so that's one reason I've always loved creativity and also I was always doing lots of things like writing and directing plays and dancing and choreographer and writing music and and all of these things and it for me it was an escape and it was fun and that stayed with me that childhood wonder for the arts and then also I think there's an appeal to me in terms of the rebel spirit of the Mm -hmm. artist. So Annabelle, what was your foray into the arts? When did you know you were creative? Well, mine is a bit different because my mother is a painter. So when I was growing up with her in a deeply chaotic household, I was influenced by her creativity. I mean, all of her doodles were just incredible. Like, she'd come off of a phone call and I'd look at what she'd done on her pad of paper. And I was like, what as if, right? Like as if someone just does that randomly while they're talking to someone. And yet at the same time, while I was always engaged with the creative side because of my mother's influence, there was this anti-art stance that I cultivated as well. 
which drew me into science, into control, into the military, like all of these sort of things that allowed me to have control over things where I knew that I was going to make money someday and I wasn't going to be a poor artist who had no idea where their next paycheck was coming from. And that was a real thing for me for a really long time. And it was only as I got into my 20s and I found the dark room that I started to find this other path for myself. And it still was a very long and winding road for me to get back to a place of acceptance of this really truly is my fulfilling place. Like there's no other option for me. I really did resist it for a long time. And it's funny because I won art awards in school. Like it was just something that I kind of naturally gravitated towards. I was musical, I sang the solos in the school plays, sang for the Ottawa Choir, like there was all of these sort of artistic avenues that I was a part of and good at, but I resisted it for a really long time. I had the opposite trajectory where I was like, okay, finally, I give in, I'm just going to go ahead and do this. That's so interesting, because both of my parents are scientists. Right. So I didn't grow up around artists. It was actually my aunts and uncles that were the artists. And my uncle actually worked for a radio station. And so that had appeal for me too. So I had people around me that were creative, but it was not directly from my parents, although my father could draw very well. So that's interesting because for me, I wasn't, I was rebelling in the sense that I remember when I told my dad I wanted to be an actor, he said, why would you? (laughs) He couldn't even imagine taking that route in life. So I definitely had to go my own way, but my mother was supportive. My rebellion was like ironing and starching shirts and polishing boots. (laughs) My mother was like, what are, you want to do that? (laughs) Oh my God, you are just a rebel, rebel girl. Do you still, do you still rebel today through shirts? No, I hate ironing, but at the time I really loved it. I'm like, look at me, march in one spot. (laughs) Carry a flag. Oh my God, I love it. I want to talk a little bit about improv for you, Annabelle, because I know that's a huge outlet for you. Can you talk a little bit about what appealed to you about improv and what you find in it and how it enriches your creativity? Well, yeah, I think it's a denial thing too, where I was in school plays. I really am a shy person in a lot of ways and have often felt ridiculous. This has been an excellent avenue to confront a certain fear of mine where it's just okay to be ridiculous and to fail constantly. And it marries my love with comedy as well. I'm watching a lot of stand-up comedy live and on stage and allows me to be daring in a way and think on my feet, which is, I found really helpful in my own practice for photography. So it has a lot of things that appeal to me. When you say it helps your photography, do you mean in the moment when you're shooting or when you're at? Yes, exactly that. It just allows you to be okay with failure in a way that's like, I never expect myself to be amazing at it, but there are these moments where I can make everyone laugh and it feels great. And then there's other moments where I'm like, wow, that really sucked, but that's fine. Like it's not anything I'm pursuing. I think it's really important that we choose other things that we're in love with that we don't have to be good at. And there's a freedom that's involved there that I love. Woo! Yeah. 
Love it. Emmeline, take me through your childhood to knowing when you wanted to do it professionally. Well, I would say that it was a really natural expression of who I was as a child. I was given a lot of space and a lot of time alone. I was bored a lot and that led to a lot of different creative avenues. So a lot of time was spent in imaginary world. A lot of time was spent building projects like writing books or picking flowers or setting up plays, setting up play restaurants. Like it was just who I was. And I think I maintained that throughout, I'd say up until like 12 or 13 years old, I had certain avenues, but they were definitely not in the same way. I definitely got a sense as I progressed through my teenage years, that there was a certain way that I needed to be in the world and that that was not it. So I was kind of like art adjacent. I also had the privilege of going to this private Catholic school and an all-girls school as well. And I think in the 90s, there was this very large push of women in sciences and women in business. And so the arts were actually quite ridiculed in my school. And so that even led me to really try to conceal that part of myself. And I would never really achieved very well in school art classes or anything like that. I had terrible grades in art class for some reason, uh, but it was yet still a part of me always. And then it maintained a presence, although not expressed presence, probably all through up until my early 20s. And then I decided to go to design school and design school had a beautiful almost two-year foundation art program within it. And that really expressed a side of me that I had not connected to deeply in a long, long time. But then motherhood happened. And through motherhood, it also rekindled that desire for creativity, but it was kind of stunted. And it was always creative adjacent. And it wasn't until my kids were in school I got to move to a place where I had physical space to explore and a connection to the natural world that I was able to dive into a path that I had always thought that I was a terrible painter because I had never given my chance to actually practice it. I had always thought that it was like a one-time thing that you had to just be really good at it when you started. And because I always needed to work on things, I always thought that that just wasn't an avenue for me. So I gave myself that opportunity to keep working at it. And that's kind of how it happened. So just going back to when you were a kid and leaving creativity, how did you think you needed to be? Did you think you had to be a business person or a scientist? Yeah, absolutely. I think that there was a side of me that was very people oriented. And I had, we didn't have any professional artists, obviously, as as role models in our family. my Both my parents were very creative in their own ways. So my mother was like an avid quilter and my father was an avid photographer and woodworker. And so those were all seen as pastimes, which were all fine and good. And my mom was a sewer as well. She sewed a lot of clothing. And so, but it was never considered a professional avenue. And I was always encouraged like, oh, you would be really great in PR. You would make a really great lawyer. You would make, you know, and you take on these messages. Mm-hmm. And so I always pictured myself in a two-piece suit with heels, holding a clipboard, walking through offices and like very, <laughs> very tall and very blonde. I don't know why. It was like long colored nails. Um, and that's not at all who I, but you know, you had that image of yourself of being this 
this business person, you know, that did business, you know, on phones and computers and or I had a typewriter. And I think that that part of me is also really active. Like I do enjoy the business part of it. I do enjoy the connection part of it. And so that was definitely how I thought that I had to be in the world. Well, I had no influences, I would really imagine. Like I came from a very laboring family. But then I guess my mom, who was a hairdresser, I'm thinking that that's probably where it started from because... My mom worked for like sort of an old lady bougie hair salon where people would come in and have their hair set for the week. So at the time, it was like a lot of effort would go into these coiffure like hairstyles with and and my mom always did it with me as well. Like the curlers in my hair, she always insisted my shoes were impeccable that I had a beautiful coat on. And I think maybe just waiting for her at work and flipping through magazines all the time I fell in love with Carol Bouquet for the Chanel number five advertisements and like my room was just completely filled with fashion pictures all the time like friends had new kids on the block and I always had like the latest Yves Saint Laurent advertising campaign on my walls and I think from there I my mom shows me sketches and pictures from my childhood and if I was drawing kids swimming at a pool the intricacy I would put into their bathing suit drawings or next level my mom still has them because she would laugh so hard it would be like the most basic swimming pool but the outfits we had on next to that swimming pool were incredible do you still have them <laughs> i would love to see them because i i used really? to do it too i had a whole binder of my fashion amazing design. i'll have to ask my mom i'm not sure i try actually to keep my kids art now and i find that between dave and i we're very particular about what of the kids art we keep because you could keep all of it and you like fill a house full so i wonder if she's kept them i'll ask from there i i knew always i did all the costumes for plays in school. I never really wanted to be on the stage. I always wanted to be making the costumes. I did Bye Bye Birdie. I did everything. I made one piece Elvis Presley suits for Conrad Birdie. I just always loved it and did all the sewing, did all the home ec classes at school. And I knew as soon as I finished high school, I would go into design. And it was just figuring out where I would do it. And thankfully, I came for a summer to Quebec to learn French. And I met a fashion designer at that school who told me all about LaSalle College in Montreal. So I went home and I signed up and my parents fought hard against it, I guess, because they didn't want their child to leave home. But as soon as I turned 18, 19, I was out the door and I was here and I was studying. I did marketing first and then I went back and finished design. And yeah, that's just kind of how it started. I was laughing there for a second because in my childhood drawings, I have one where it's a suitcase. It's a cross section of a suitcase. And inside I plan where I'm putting my clothes for my travel. Of course. <laughs> that's how I drew clothes. Mm -hmm. In a, in a suitcase, where very, very well ironed, you're going to be packed. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go through everybody and I want to ask, what does it feel like when you're in the best possible moment of your creativity? Annabelle and I have had this conversation before in terms of photography. The feeling when you've clicked the button and you know before you've even seen the image, this feeling comes over your whole body of That's just true. pure joy because you know know that you got it and it's so exciting the anticipation to see the image is so fulfilling it's incredible yeah and there's like this tiny little austin powers inside of me that's like and i'm spent right but like i have like the whole wedding day to go but i'm like i know i've got it it's fine <laughs> 
<laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Emily, how does it feel for um, you? There's like a suspension in time for me. Um, yeah. It's I feel like I'm almost like floating, not really connected to anything and just completely absorbed. It's often like quite fast paced and very messy. And I can stay in there. I would say like probably max. I don't have very long in there. You know, like I think it's a short period of time before you're pulled back out. And it's actually very exhausting. I'm really tired after it happens, but it is definitely a suspension and of time and space. I agree with Emily that when I'm editing, especially time disappears Mm -hmm. and distractions disappear as well. Like it's just a real hyper focus and it's amazing when it happens. And I try for that every day, but it doesn't always necessarily happen. It's also really easy to find at the sewing machine. That suspension of time is also very present, you know, like playing with the textiles and, and just kind of sewing through pieces and cutting through patterns. That was also just a beautiful opportunity to lose yourself in something. I also get it with arranging flowers cut Mm. flowers do it for hours you know and it's that same exhaustion after of having really immersed yourself in something I concur Mm -hmm. about the sewing when I get in my writing mode or my painting mode it feels like flying Mm -hmm. it just feels like complete freedom it's a great feeling so we're all moms and I'm curious how does motherhood fuel your creativity what is your relationship between the two I mean I'm not sure how much it fuels other than Obviously, as a parent, you want to set a good image. I think for me, especially having a girl and a boy, I want my boy to be just as aware of his creative side than my daughter. I really push for him to not be pigeonholed in a lot of male-dominated fields. Like, oh, you're really good at math. Like, my son is excellent at math, so is my daughter. But I also want him to understand you can also be really good at art. You could be really good at writing. Like, you can try all these things. So I think... Being creative as a parent is always a great example to your children that there are lots of different avenues that you can choose in life and your motivation doesn't always have to be financial. Or even if you're creative, you could be financially successful. I don't want to limit my kids to thinking that couldn't be a possibility. But I think it's nice that they have something to look to in that regard. I would say that for me, the way that I relate to my creativity, it's a very selfish an interaction, I would say for the most part, I'm often irritated by distraction. And when we're talking about that creative flow, distraction for me is a real upset. And so finding time has been a big objective of mine of like, when do I work best? When is the time that I need to put aside for myself every day, and then allow the distractions to happen. And especially in the pandemic, it has been a real challenge with often one child at home in one way or another. But then on the flip side of that, my having children itself does inform this other deeper introspection that I have with myself as being a parent with my love for my children. And this also other through line in my work, which is about recording your roots in a certain way and finding your roots. I love photography because it has informed history that I didn't know I had because I have such a rootless connection to Canada. And that to me feels generational. So there are these moments where I'm creating work that I feel historically this is going to be more important later. And so that in itself becomes like how I connect with my kids, with my creativity, I guess. That's beautiful, Annabelle. I have to say that having children was a huge creative push for me 
it really fueled this, I don't know, this kind of drive to show them or to, to model that there were other ways of being in life and that that you could take time for yourself, that you could, um, hobbies were important and creative expression was important and making things with your hands were important and all of those kind of values, which I think are kind of like creative life values that you impart onto your children. So for me, that was a huge driver that it was now is the time that it's actually important for me to model this for them. So I think that in that respect, it was a huge, huge, huge driver. And like Annabelle was mentioning, that kind of like that generational through line was something that I was exploring at one point too of of handing down the creative process from one generation to another. As women, not all generations have had the privilege to indulge in the creative times. Uh, creativity or what we view as creativity now is really just usefulness and resourcefulness and that they could not wow. express themselves creatively as women because they were taken out of school at the age of 12 to then be trained right. as wives and stewards of homesteads. So I think That's that right. there's a, a there's also a huge purpose in that of doing the work for them that they were never allowed to do and that we have the privilege of time and access to be able to do it. Yeah, I love that. Amazing. Wow. For me, playing with my daughter has really reignited my view of creativity as being fun. And I want her to have space in her life that has nothing to do with other people's expectations and just have a place for herself to play and express herself. And like you said, Annabelle, make mistakes and just discover that part of her mind, body, soul that is limitless. So when I play with her, it just reminds me of how I was when I was little. And it just it just makes me joyful. Beautiful. So I really enjoy mm -hmm. getting mm -hmm. to play again, like a kid. I want to talk about failure and changes we've gone through. Failure can feel like the most painful thing. But then looking back, it can be necessary to get us to the next step. So I just wanted to know how failure has in the moment been terribly painful painful, but then informed learning and helped you get to the next level or the next part of your creative life. I'm going to say I was on this clubhouse call last night. And I would say that failure to me is like a muscle you should be building all the time. I think I'm failing constantly. And sort of the definition of failure is what are you upholding yourself to? And for me, it's like the creative cycle and process I can look back at work six months ago and go, well, I would do that differently now based on how I've moved forward in my own practice. And so I guess maybe failure is an interesting word because it's an evolution from the way you did things as you master a certain craft in your practice. And I think that that's really important to be moving through that cycle, revisiting old processes and maybe revamping them and allowing yourself to make mistakes can create new avenues of creativity. So how you think you want to do something might end up resulting in something completely different. And that might be the beauty of it. It might be way more beautiful and chaotic than you could have imagined. And that sets you off on a different path. And I think not being afraid of failure will allow those beautiful moments to happen. Often when I'm listening to other artists, it's the mistakes that they absolutely love. And so you just have to be open to doing that and taking a step back to look at the work and go, you know what, this is actually way more dynamic, has a lot more energy than the thing that I thought I was going to create. And, and what did I do there in that moment 
so that I can chase that feeling again. I love what you just said. And I also feel like once you lose your fear of failure, then you're really free to play and do whatever you want because it loosens you up. And I know when I worked at The Beat, I had to hand in many stories a week and it just forced me to say sometimes, you know what, this is good enough. And good enough gets you to the next place. And maybe you want to label it as a like a recovering perfectionist, but I don't think it's that. I think when you revere something so much, like we do, like art is my religion and you can build this wall that you have to climb every time instead of just saying like, let's just let this be what it is. And then that's like the, the fluidity and the freedom and the flying. So for me, it's like, forget the word completely. Yeah, yeah I feel like Emmeline, you were really instrumental in me understanding that. Like I came into our business together, a real hyper detailed perfectionist and kind of watching you think bigger, wholer picture and like, let's get this going was really inspiring to me. Thank you. That's really, thank you. That means a lot to me coming from you. I've always thought that the word failure was, it's a very subjective word, right? Because it reflects a construct that you've built, that you measure yourself against something outside of self. Yeah. And with, mm. sorry. Okay. I'm just, I'm making noises. I love it. I'll stop making noises now. Um. <laughs> Yeah, the- don't stop the noises. Don't. <laughs> don't right. worry. And, and so I just depending love what you're on saying, what kind really. of I'll stop. I think depending on what kind of we'll use the word programming, although it's kind of a overused term, what kind of programming you received as a child, I think failure is going to look like different things for different people. And and like I said before, it's always measured against almost other people's expectations of what you perceive them to be. And I think that that's very different than an artist considering their work and their evaluation of the quality of their work. What looks like a failure to me, because I have a really high standard of where it is that I would like to go, is not necessarily seen as a failure from others. Do you know what I'm saying? That it, it's this very fluid yeah. thing that, you know, I carry failure in me that other people do not perceive as failures and, and all of those kinds of things. So I think it's very, very tricky to navigate. And like I think you said, or Annabelle said, I think the word may need to be rethought of. It can mean so many different things. I think it's a difficult one to address. I feel like this is a moment, Emmeline, where I can ask you about destruction of art and burning art. Uh, We were talking last week and you were saying that some of your paintings that you have that you didn't sell, you had to kind of reevaluate and look at and you decided to destroy. Yeah, for sure. I think creativity also has like a very destructive side to it. And I think destruction can be creative. And so I think when you have a moment where you're kind of suspended from the actual process of creating, so I'm not actively creating right now, and I'm looking at past work and being able to compare it to the destination that I was looking at getting and seeing how much of it did not accomplish that. And I think that I have this anger towards it that I haven't actually gotten to that point of mastery and these paintings were just hanging around and antagonistic is the only word that I can find for what they were. Like they were just <laughs> laughing at me. They were coming oh, after you. And, and I just, I can't anymore. Like I just, I can't look at them. Every time I see them, I see the, the different things I would have done. And I just needed to kind of repaint them. And so my husband was priming a room And just like instinctively, I just grabbed the roller with just acrylic primer and I just primed over them because I just (laughs) couldn't stand the sight of them. And that act in and of itself 
was creatively so fulfilling because I was able to turn the page and to stop being like, this didn't work. Okay, it didn't work. Fine. And now I can move on to something else. And yeah. It and it doesn't define no. you, right? Like having it wiped clean. It's, it's like spring cleaning in your house. It's just like, get rid of it. Let's just move on. New, new you produce clean slate. so much work, yeah. right? Like I think one of the things that stuck with me mm-hmm. about, you know, completing the artist's way, which I think I did like five years ago and then I revisit seasonally, is this idea that you're not in charge of the quality of the work. You're really in charge of the quantity of the work. And the more work you produce, the -hmm. more you get the shitty, crappy work out of the way and that you can then compare it to the work that you actually want to be doing. But you have to get it out of the way. You have to dust out the cobwebs. Yeah, there's that famous experiment where they like assigned each two creative classes, like uh, ceramic classes. Okay, for the entire semester, just make as many vases as you possibly can. And then there's the other one. It's like, okay, for this semester, you need Mm -hmm. to make the best vase. And then the class that worked in quantity ended up creating their best, like absolute most creative best work. Whereas the class focused on making the best ended up feeling stunted and didn't create so much and were technically not as good. And so I think it's a really interesting idea that we're always focusing on finding that moment, but it's always actually just showing up every day, getting the shit out and really, uh, sorry, I swore, um, (laughs) really just continuing through until you find those little gems that can happen. I think it's really important. You guys, I'm finding this conversation really hard because I've never failed at anything. (laughs) I know. I know. You're perfect. I know. I know. Sue, bear with us. I mean, that is 40% facts right there. That's only 12% facts. I think it's like what everyone said. You just have to learn from your failure and use it as a tool to like get better at anything that you're doing. You know, it's, it's important to not dwell on it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What is that? Yeah. (laughs) No, I just, I just love, like, I'm just having this moment where I'm like, God, I love this conversation. I love you ladies so much. I kind of Um, like you. You're all right. You're cool. (laughs) Angelique, did you want to talk about where 40% facts came from? Cause I think we all have different ideas of how that, Yeah, so I I already thought that it was you, Annabelle, in a conversation with Dave, where Dave was frustrated with you when because anytime you would argue, he would say, you know, this is just forty percent facts. You don't have your facts straight. But now you said we were in the car driving to New York City, and this conversation came up, and I don't know who brought it up, but I think all of us came up with the like, me too. Oh my gosh, me too. I'm always accused of only giving yeah the bare minimum of facts, and they're always wrong. Um, and I think that 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 kind of sealed. I don't know if I'm remembering that properly or not, but that's that's how I remember it. Yeah, we were driving for sure. It happened on that we drive. Talking, yeah, it, yeah. I know. I know it happened in the drive, but the actual term forty percent facts. I it, think it could was have one been Bruno. That I know it wasn't been. my it husband. Sounds like something you would have said. The fact that I, we can't I feel even like define yeah. where forty percent facts and came from is exactly forty percent facts. <laughs> is is in itself forty percent facts. <laughs> well, that's what I love. The only fact that matters is mm-hmm. that we had that amazing car right up to New York and an incredible trip and it was a beautiful moment and mm. it'd be nice to go back to New York yeah, that's all I was thinking oh yeah 
yeah. I kind of want to do like a snapshot of where we're at. We could do a 40% fax maybe seasonally. Yeah. And we could kind of say like, here's where I'm at right now. And then we could kind of track how we go through, you know, the next year or two. Would you like to do that? Would you like to share how you're doing and where you're at? It's a sunny Friday. The weather's going to be amazing next Let's week. Do it. Spring is here. Yeah, I can. For I, sure. I'm, I'm I had something to add just about because since okay, our let's... last conversation, Angelique, I've done a lot of like research around creative blocks and, and like who like famous artists that were creatively blocked for a, a significant period of time. And the more I researched that, the clearer it became that it's totally normal and it's totally part of the process. Uh, and that there are very illustrious examples like Agnes Martin, who stopped painting for 11 years. Uh, and ended up leaving, I think she was in New York and going to New Mexico, kind of like Georgia O'Keeffe, who also took a large hiatus. Um, Louise Bourgeois didn't sculpt for nine years after the death of her father. I think that this creative pause that I think a lot of us ended up feeling because of COVID in this pandemic, I think is a normal part of the creative process. And the more we think that it's alien and that there's something wrong with us when we're not feeling the urge or the drive to create, I think we're kind of going down the wrong avenue. I 100% agree. I think we have to, you know, like that book we're both reading, Wintering, we have to take breaks. And I think we live in a culture where we think if we take a break Mm -hmm. or a pause, that it will abandon us. Yeah, Instagram, that if Instagram will make you feel different, right? It'll make you feel like it this like process. And I think Emily and I talked about this recently, where it's just like, it's not the reality of the creative process. You shouldn't, it's just not the representation of real cycles mm-hmm. of creativity. Yeah, that there's a lot of, oh, sorry, there's a lot of dormancy that is yeah, much I mean, longer than we, I, than I had perceived, you know, to be like a one year break, a two year break, a three year break is totally normal. And in my mind, it's like, if I'm not producing something in six months, it's, it's a problem, you know, it's not a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Annabelle, you said you were ready to say a snapshot of where you are at right now. So uh, Yeah, I, I would say that like if we're talking about cycles right now, I'm in an administrative one where I'm more, I guess, a lot of people talk about being on the business and in the business. And I'd say I'm more on the business than in the business, getting ready to be in my practice more as warm summer months heat up. And it seems like a lot of my clients are moving forward with their weddings this year. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I'm starting to notice that there's a real type of person that's drawn to my type of work. And that is becoming really interesting to me that I'm starting to see really similar through lines, what we all connect to. And I think that that's really exciting. So I would say that, yeah, I'm on the more business side right now, moving towards a more creative one. And just before I finish, I would say that I also attended a a really interesting conference that reconnected me to doing my own personal work. I think I've really ignored that. And so while it's dormant in the back of my mind of what that means and what that looks like, it's definitely been reignited that that needs to be a priority again. So how that fits in with my professional life and then my personal, I'm not quite sure yet. I'm excited to explore what the personal work will look like in the next year or so. What was the conference? It was called Musea. So it's a photographer's conference for portraits and weddings, basically. And it really wasn't about making six figures or how to enhance your social profile. It was really about making work that's important to you. 
and a lot of inspiring talks from a lot of great photographers that are not highly known, but really, really skilled and inspiring and how they told stories visually. And uh, that to me was a reminder that my connection to photography started very young and has a deep meaning to me in terms of my own family. And that for me needs to be explored. And like this year, I'm, I started therapy. And there's a lot of things that keep coming up for me that are reminders of dormant things that I've ignored for a very long time. And perhaps that needs to be explored in a more creative way. So those are all things that I'm in the back of my mind thinking about. Wow. Can I ask you a question? Do you ever feel the pressure to commodify your personal work? Or is that a very, does that just get shelved into private Annabelle world? Or do you sometimes feel that the work then needs to come out and then be monetized in some way? Just curious, also because of your medium, that these files are always stored digitally and not necessarily physically in your space. And I just, for me, it's my space, Mm -hmm. I end up having so much painting and so much work that I then feel this pressure to do something with it, quote unquote. So I'm just wondering if you felt that at all. I do think that there is this pressure. I would be lying if I didn't. But at the same time, so like how I imagine my personal work was like, oh, well, maybe Mm -hmm. I could show this in a gallery sometime. That's kind of how I thought about it. But that said, there is this also the side of me that I know that I've neglected documenting my own family. And that's really important that I'm Mm. doing that for myself. So I don't know where that line is. And perhaps it's, it's two very different parallel lines, where my family work stays as my own family work. And then perhaps more the exploratory, but personal, that might be something that may not necessarily be commodified, mm-hmm. but more shown. So I don't know. It could be mm-hmm. both and. Fair enough. I don't, not, I don't know. Yeah. Who wants to well, go I can go. I, I um, For my photography, anyways, I have predominantly traveled to Paris to do street style photography. That's sort of how it kind of came about. At the moment, I'm in the cusp of uh, the educational part of my creative venture, being a fashion photographer. There's a lot to learn. Obviously, I... With Paris, you have the most incredible fashion with the most incredible backdrop just walking past you. There's no setup. There's no lighting to worry about other than where you're standing and where the sun is coming from. And now I am, as an artist, moving from a predominantly major city, Montreal, to a very small town on Vancouver Island called Nanaimo. So there's not going to be the same ability to kind of get those fashion shots on the ready so for me there's been like a great amount of introspection on how I'm gonna take all the information and all the education that I'm gaining right now and turning it into what I want it to be and it's been actually really thrilling and fun to think about all the locations that I've known growing up on Vancouver Island and how I can turn that into a fashion shoot and I think that's probably where I'm the most at right now is figuring out this transformation of how I'm going to get what I still need out of 
what I'm learning to work with the new setting that I'm going to be in. I think it's going to be so exciting. Sue, you have such a great eye for fashion and fashion photography. And the one thing that always makes me feel better is that limitations mm. can really spark creativity and those boundaries. Oh, I agree. I've actually been, stu- well, I've always loved the work of Petra Collins and I love her suburbia kind of like landscapes and things like that. And there's like, there's an animal that only I know. And I'm very much looking forward to capturing right that through my eyes I guess on uh, yeah I'm excited well I'm so excited to that's, it's an exciting thought I just wanted to say I hope you recreate your mom's hair salon and, and I don't do even think I have to try shots. hard for that one <laughs> and maybe with dogs maybe with poodles yes yeah, I'm excited to see Nanaimo through your lens as I was always so fascinated to see like Paris through your lens or anything through the lens of your eyes of like what you think is exciting and what you find illuminating. I think that that's always so interesting. And so whether or not it's the fashion capital of the world, I have no doubt that you'll find those angles and you'll find the people that you need to shoot in order to tell your story. Oh, I will, guys. Don't you worry. It's coming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait. Right. Okay. So, a snapshot of where I am at creatively. Is that right? Right. Okay. Yeah. And like so where you're going, right now, you think? I am, I'm, I guess I'm in an incubation and almost like nostalgia. So, I've pulled out a whole bunch of old work, old writing also, because I had done a creative coaching program, I think it was two years ago when we came back from New York. And I'm reading through all of the material that I created for that and actually looking at it from an outsider's perspective perspective and trying to take my own advice about their creative process. And so I'm finding that really interesting of pulling all these old things out and then also thinking of what it is that I'd like to create in the future. And so I'm working a lot with plants. I'm planting a pretty large flower cutting garden this year. So I'm raising all my plants from seed. And I have a feeling that that's going to really work its way back into my work in a different way. And that's what I'm hoping that I'm coming back to the source of plants and flowers like I did when I was really, really little to be able to abstract them in a painterly way. I think that's the goal. I think that's so interesting because you're also currently creating something <laughs> from seed. Right. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yes. like, the, like there's like two sort of like paths of seeds going on right now. And I think it's a real, yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, it's a really interesting time. And um, I, I agree. And it's funny because I don't want to take away the banality of like, well, I don't feel creative because I'm creating a human, which is true. But I think that it's feeding, it's giving me this time and this perspective to think about this, what I was kind of labeling as a creative block as not necessarily a block, but this opportunity to go back and look at past work and, and to kind of maybe even put a bookend on the last six years to now start a new journey. Yeah, I think that that's so important mm. to look back at work over time and like to revisit it over and over again, because it can reinform you or like redirect you. I think it's a mm-hmm. very important. I heard process. that um, Franz Kafka yeah. on his deathbed ordered for all of his writings to be burnt. <laughs> that he was like, burn everything. And obviously his best friend who was in charge of his estate did not burn everything. But yeah, there's this idea that your past work. Yeah. I I don't know. I have a weird relationship with past work, but anyways. Well, doesn't Salinger have all of his works in a safe somewhere only to be allowed to be published like 80 years past his death date? Like, I don't know if it's true. Oh, is that true? I didn't know that. (laughs) 
Oh, that is a 40% fact for sure. For sure. I'm about that. I'm like, children, where are his three children that want to make money? Like, hello. But they seem to be holding, holding it captive. Well, I have a like a stack of diaries in my basement that mm. really, really need to be burned. Oh, but I just then, did that, actually. Yeah. I found yeah. some diaries, and I was like, if I were to just randomly be hit by a bus today and my family would have come upon these, I'm like, I don't think so. I'm going to get rid of these immediately <laughs> and hold on to the memories in my head. Thank you, and goodbye. <laughs> yes, memories that are informed by 40% exactly. at most. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'll just close with my snapshot, which is that I'm focusing on recording, connection, human conversation, kind of the art of conversation (laughs) right now, and just kind of enjoying talking to people who I think are amazing people, such as yourselves. So thank you all so much for being here today. Since I've known you again, and Angelique, since I've known you, you're all just so, and we've gone back to many a conversation in many a different locations. You have always been able to bring out the best and the most interesting in people. So I Mm want to just first of all say congratulations on this new venture for you because you've hit the nail on the head with incorporating all of your incredible creative ability and I'm very excited to see and hear and what you get up to with this podcast and I third yes I second what Sue says oh well thank you very much I mean well that's (laughs) I just got goosebumps and now I'm all awkward and uncomfortable but um thank you very much and I can't thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing this with me and I'm really happy that that trip to New York can continue in some way especially as Sue, you move away. And I hope that this will keep us creatively connected and connected as human beings and as women and as mothers. And I, I love back. At I you. love the three. Of yeah, you so thank much. you. So thank you so much. Thanks, Angelique. And oh, thank you all so much. And good luck with all your creativity and living day to day right now. Just, you know, be well and stay in touch and love so you. Are we all. getting okay, off so the call? Or what are we doing? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, now we got the yeah. Now, like, seven. Goodbye. 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 <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> so that's a wrap. After we recorded this session, I really felt like we had created a time capsule. And I think that's in part because one of my dearest friends is moving away, but I don't care. 40% facts. Um, The other part is I love that you have four mothers that basically say creativity is so important to us that we want our children to see us doing it so that they can learn from us and have a space of their own in their future. I hope that this inspires you to do the same for your children and for yourself. Thanks for listening.